Hello and welcome back to Podcasting is Praxis. I'm David, my pronouns are he and him. I'm James, my pronouns are they and them. I'm Jamie, my pronouns are he and him. Hi, I'm Rob, and my pronouns are he and him. And I'm Alistair, and my pronouns are also he and him. So this is, we're all here, and uh, it's it's just another normal episode. A very normal episode full of normal things, and no abnormal things have occurred at any point between <laughs> the last bit you just heard and me saying this sentence. Um, Rob, what do you have for us? Uh, right, so to start start things off, I assume that everybody this weekend with bated breath um, read the uh, Keir Starmer profile in the Times. No. Glanced no. off of at high velocity. If that is the same as reading, then yes. No, but I did. So, uh, and I thought I would just. Is this you one know, about how many Tories he's like piped off? Or whatever yes, this is the one. <laughs> this is the one that where he. <laughs> Kiss Starmer, right in with your favourite Tory dogging spot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, where in the Cotswolds do you go for the best dogging? Darlington. Uh, no, I thought I'd. Uh, it's it's an it's an atrocious profile of you know clearly the man's now been uh, uh, okayed by the Murdoch press as well, uh, and I thought I should read you mm. some selected bits of of a great profile. Uh, with his knighthood, his smart suits, his smooth lawyer's manner, and his North London home, <laughs> Starmer. <laughs> mm-hmm. Smooth lawyer's manner. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, this man is not a reptile. Not a reptile. <laughs> You've been struck by a smooth lawyer. <laughs> but, I mean, F's to that delivery driver, definitely. <laughs> Starmer looks like he was born into the liberal metropolitan elite, but his childhood was far from privileged. Oh, get fuck a fuck. <laughs> Now his, I'm uh, looking his, forward to us hearing about how his how his dad worked down the pit in the fucking tool factory or whatever. He yeah. did. He worked in the tool fucking factory and he was also a distant court, man. At the, at the tool face. <laughs> <laughs> tool face just sounds like a low rent depressing British jigsaw. To be totally honest. <laughs> <laughs> Now, the Labour leader is facing the ultimate political test. If polls are to be believed, he could be Prime Minister after the next general election. For the first time in decades, there's a buzz around the party. Businesses are queuing up to meet Starmer. Ambassadors are schmoozing the shadow cabinet. And wealthy donors are flocking back to Labour. Businesses are queuing up to see the Labour party. I'm just going to have a quick look on Google to see which... Oh, BAE Systems... What are you doing yeah. in this list? <laughs> I think it's well, pronounced just... Bay. There's never been a collection <laughs> of weapons they didn't like, Alistair. That would be what a hell of a rebrand if they called themselves Arms Bay from now on. <laughs> <laughs> copyright, copyright, stay away. Yeah, re- Raytheon rebranding as Small Bean Logistics or something like this. Yeah. <laughs> mm. That's why all that, that fucking doing the, uh, the other- doing the the salt bay flick thing, but with white phosphorus. <laughs> <laughs> I really like it. So it's like, oh, uh, there's a buzz around the party. Why is there a buzz? Oh, well, it's because big donors want to give them money, and ambassadors are around. Not you know human beings or anything. That that's clearly clearly less than important. They're- 
But then we get to maybe my favorite bit of all of them. Uh, this is like in, in, in a long paragraph about like how he feels truly ready to be prime minister. He even has a version of a prime minister, prime ministerial red box for the papers he reads every night. Oh, <laughs> God almighty. I love to get my fucking Playmobil prime minister set out every night so that I can pretend like I'm the real thing. <laughs> I like the idea of him, like, on the Playmobil phone, ordering nucle- nuclear strikes every night before he goes to bed. <laughs> writing, writing the letter of last resort in crayon and solemnly folding it into, like, you know, a little... No, 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 James, James, it'd obviously be a connect the dots, and the, and the dots would be targets. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, but he's a cool guy, though. Stubber is an archetypical centrist dad. He is wearing a navy <laughs> shirt. <sighs> he, he is wearing a navy shirt Archetypes and blazer. Archetypes were with- a mistake. Archetypes were a mistake. <laughs> myth was myth was a waste of our time. If it has led us to this, of what use for rule? If it has led us to this, <laughs> just fucking. <laughs> it's good to see that centrists are really putting in the effort to reclaim centrist dad. <laughs> well, they've been trying out this line because I've I've remember seeing this from before somewhere from a couple of weeks ago where he was like, "Yeah, being a centrist dad is cool." Actually, I, re- I remember this from from another place where they're like trying to lean into it by like I don't know what what he's trying to think to do, but yeah, I, I remember this. Well, again, another lesson that we can learn from our posting history is that first they try and roll with the punches, and then they go out and tell us that uh, they're actually the master puppeteer and this is all a social experiment to get you to react this way. (laughs) (laughs) He is wearing a navy shirt and blazer with surprisingly cool black and orange shoes from Hugo Boss. He was thrilled to notice that his teenage son recently borrowed the shoes without asking, of course. (laughs) Was this the the shoes that Mick Wright was tweeting about the other day? Yes, they were. Maybe, yeah. So they're the fucking boots from The Expanse when they're walking around the spaceships. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> oh. Without asking, of course, that was the point at which I realized just how good they were. It's just like, yeah, bye. He was going, he was going off planet. He needed, he needed some shoes so they can, you know, when they're on the float and that. I've been watching a lot of The Expanse lately. Can you tell? <laughs> There was there was once a rumor that he was the inspiration for Bridget Jones's lawyer boyfriend Mark Darcy in Helen Fielding's novels. <laughs> Holy shit! He started that Holy. rumor himself. Holy 100%. fucking! Oh man, this is this is pure schniff ideological nostalgia. Like yes, they are reaching back through the mists of time. Yeah, remember the nineties when your dick worked. <laughs> Literally, who had heard of Keir Starmer before, like, well, like, fucking 2015? Like, those, uh, those rioters? I mean, yeah. <laughs> Jimmy Savile? <laughs> <clears throat> Presumably, this is a rumor he heard from that guy he walked in on in that hotel that one time. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I, I hope he went into detail about this fucking tedious anecdote in this interview because that would just be the absolute beautiful capstone to this. Just the first dross. time, the first time he heard it was when he turned up at the dogging site and they're like, "Hey, are you that guy from the Helen Fielding novels?" <laughs> so I turned up to this dogging site and it turns out I had the wrong keys. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, 
<laughs> it would be great, he says, but he doesn't have a Christmas jumper. Cue rapturous laughter. Okay. Yeah, it's it's uh, it, no, but it's it is what James was saying. This is all just like nostalgia. This is like for the for, for, you know nineties kids will remember this essentially, but just yeah, turn into uh, like a weird weird voting mechanism. Yeah, yeah nineties kids a, will remember when a, a giant black hole opened in the center of London and sucked in all the charisma. <laughs> anyway essentially this profile is just like a big thing essentially like now um you know they're they're getting ready to to put him in his seat and like because he's clearly bent now so far into into you know the mall that that into the, the prime British press requires chair, him yep. to be yeah essentially yeah. with this little with this little toy briefcase that like clearly he's just like hobbled <laughs> and like beaten himself so much that that now it's okay for him to be prime minister so now you get these weird like gl- glowing profiles apparently he's had some fucking uh, uh, sun newspaper awards tonight as well for people who do charity or some shit like oh the murdoch nod it's fair it's fucking there yeah great it's fucking there i'm surprised that they've not mentioned anything about his hair in that um opening snippet you gave us uh, oh, I'm, I'm, I'm a sure they're more concerned about his, um, his bedtime prime ministerial routine <laughs> so I'm not set a bit odd with anyone else I slammed the video into the slot and it's 1997 <laughs> <laughs> I do the moves alongside the main character Tony Blair <laughs> <laughs> It makes number 10 feel less lonely. Hmm. <laughs> uh, anyway, so that's, how, that's how our long new prime was this, um, Yeah, how, how long was this article? Like, was it was it a very length? fucking long. It was, I, I've just right. trimmed like a few bits out of it because it was atrociously long. Right, and it was yeah. basically yeah. just... So, so it was a legitimate Starmer article then. We can, we can, it was definitely an interview with that boring cunt. Well, I think he's still got a book coming out as well, like another eighteen thousand pages. Fuck off, Rob. Yeah. No, I'm. I'm no. <laughs> yes. Hey, listen. No. You can say no to Rob all you want. There is a higher power that does not defer to you. And Sinan, when he chooses, and at the time, a little measure of a man stream. has been decided. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear, I, don't, I really don't want to know what's in that book. It's gonna be so fucking boring. <laughs> it will be. I did actually read that last one. Anyway, I, I also bring good tidings from uh, the House of Commons today. Um, this was from oh, Sky this afternoon. Um, MPs are now allowed to put food, drink, and office decorations for their Christmas parties on expenses. Yeah, cool. Not alcohol, cool. though. Like, um, according to the the fine print, lights, tinsel, and a tree can be expensed because they are festive decorations and are therefore covered by the uh, the rules that govern these things. Oh, I wonder what, in what ways this will be exploited. I'm sure it will be all above board and extremely accountable. Ah, uh, but don't worry about it because Jess Phillips already put out a statement that she's against MPs spending money and she will cook at home for her staff in Birmingham. Did you know she's from Birmingham? <laughs> Do you think um do you think you could get away with expensing I don't know um Diwali or you know uh you know Ramadan or other kind of like celebrations and similar um or is don't it just, be ridiculous just... they're made up I wonder if you'd be able to expense those BMP wishing you a white Christmas cards because those are technically Christmas related. <laughs> I think uh, I think Faraj has sent one over to Keir Starmer if I recall correctly. Yeah, for that uh, migration speech thing where he said that, like, uh, what was it again? 
that what was the the tagline that migration was no longer okay for undercutting British jobs or something. Yeah, and Farage was very in favour of this, which you love to hear. Just great. It's not enough for you know UKIP to capture the Tory party. Now they're capturing Labour too. Fantastic. Oh, uh, James, must- have you been paying attention? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we were. Uh, uh, it, the line was, "We must wean the economy off immigration." Yeah, Which so, to be so get breeding, everyone. It is your <laughs> is your duty to uh, pop out as many babies as humanly possible to solve this problem in in labour right now. Yeah, Keir Starmer will be going around walking into hotel rooms unannounced just to check that you're doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you shagging, son? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we, we can create the synthesis, which is official government-sanctioned dogging spots. Like, there you go. <laughs> Finally, investment in critical infrastructure this country desperately needs. <laughs> I, I, I genuinely suspect that if you implemented, like, you know, no prosecution dogging spots across the UK, somehow, bizarrely, GDP would go up. I can't explain it. It's just a kind of feeling. I just something about the British psyche would somehow be enhanced and productivity it's, would increase. No, I, I think I understand what that one might be it's that you've suddenly made it legal and then a lot of people will simply just work overtime instead <laughs> i mean could could we uh could we apply this principle to more spaces should we open a dogging spot could we do like a public public private partnership for a dogging spot oh man that would be the worst most circle operated dogging spot <laughs> <laughs> yeah just like you know you show up in the trees are like oh, half planted a dogging spot, and- but you need to pay for the fucking parking that's what it is <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Just buying like a really shitty 1989 Ford Escort with PFI. <laughs> oh dear. It's a, it's a bunch of woods, but there's a turnstile at the front of the woods sort of thing. Yeah. Mm. <laughs> It'd be a nightmare to get a car through one of those, to be honest. It's, they've reduced the they've reduced the porno mag pickup in the bushes to once every four weeks. It's just it's the surface has really gone downhill since we introduced all this. <laughs> you know the way you described that as porno mag pickup. It just made me feel like it's balance patching for some fucking video game. <laughs> <laughs> we reduced the respawn rate on the porno mag pickup. In the <laughs> oh. <laughs> The Unreal Tournament announcer going, holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Monster cock, cock, cock. Uh, Absolutely absolutely living to the spirit of that, like 40 minutes minutes into a podcast. Let's jump right in, tweet, aren't we tonight? It's a it's a vibe. It's a, you know, it's just dragging myself through this and just you know, it's a living. Uh, all right. Um, I promise before you, we go, the bonus stuff is better than this. We do better on the bonus episodes. <laughs> <laughs> that was a lie. Uh, but before we go to the main topic, uh, just a couple of uh, you know things that are actually cool and good. Uh, for the first time in 106 years, the uh, Royal College of N- College of Nurses will actually go on nationwide strike, uh, which is very cool and very good, and also very necessary. Um, they also- That's, That's right. right. Uh, 
they are striking over pay, uh, massive staff shortages, and essentially because they no longer have enough colleagues, uh, overall patient care is being put in danger. Uh, Their demand is a 17% increase, which if you take out inflation is just a 5% real uh, increase plus the uh, an adjustment for inflation. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you were curious, by the way, the um, government offer this summer was a measly four point seventy five percent. So set against inflation, they would have had to take like a f- between five and seven percent cut to their income. Uh, which which by the way is actually like that's four point seven five percent. That's like two point seven five at most higher than they're offering the rest of the civil service. Yeah. Like, so they're already, like, trying to fucking say, oh, we've gave you a really good deal here, actually, and they're starting from the shittest possible position. So, yeah, get fucked. I honestly, I I think the government is starting to get incredibly nervous about how they're going to spin the health system collapsing, essentially. And uh, I think this is a key component of that. So... Have you met our wonderful friends in the private sector? Yeah. (laughs) Well, like, this is the thing, like... I know that their ultimate goal is like health system is collapsing. Therefore, now we need to introduce like private care in order to make there be like a viable, you know, health system in the UK. But problem is there's like there's a hump they have to get over there, which is they have let the health system collapse. And I think they're trying to figure out how to square that circle kind of last minute. Um, because especially yeah, they because, haven't like, they haven't really built up the narrative of like Labour destroyed the NHS or like whose fault it yeah. is or you know like it's it's they've plus left the, it a bit late. I agree with you. Plus, I also think they weren't actually expecting the nurses to kind of show that they had a bit of muscle, and this is a problem because if at the same time as the health system is collapsing and it's time for private care, you have the country's nurses standing up and going, "It's the fault of the Tories, the government, and the way they've underfunded us, etc." Then. That's actually quite hard to fight against. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, very interesting times ahead. I think. I look forward to all of the really like odious tweets that are going to be like, "Oh, oh well, a nurse God, starts yeah. at twenty five grand a year. This is outrageous." It's like, yeah, yeah, I, I, it is outrageous, but not in I the sense the, of like being paid too fucking much. I love the optimism in your voice of look forward to. There, yeah, that's uh, that's great. Yeah. <laughs> Listen, some it's, of these people yeah, eat bad takes after a long diet of it, so. <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't search for this shit. It just it just arrives at my front door. Uh, and in a further uh, shout out as well, um, the train drivers Aslef are going on strike as well. Uh, the weekend after this episode comes out, if it comes out on time, uh, Saturday, November twenty sixth, uh, will be a national strike for Aslef with uh, drivers at twelve different train operators taking uh, part, which is exceptionally cool and also very good. Because yeah. they too have been massively underpaid. Hasn't the RMT announced like four weeks of strikes spread until like have, February, yes. if I recall? Yep. I think cool. it's they December and January, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah they four have. Days, yeah, four days in December and four days in January. I can't remember exactly what uh, the dates are off the top of my head, though. Mm-hmm. You've also got um, the CWU are going to get in with another strike uh, over the Black Friday Mm-hmm. Um, weekend, That's which is this weekend, cool. and I That's think one the week banger. after, which is good. That will, that will be fucking good. That will hurt them. I hope it fucking does. Oh, just abso- absolutely fuck the Royal Mail. I like oh, the way they've been carrying Simon on. cunt, like fuck yeah. that guy. I see the CEO or something, or yes. who's the yeah, Simon yeah, cunt? Yeah. I'm gonna mic. I'm gonna dress up like Postman Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see you <laughs> him like stop motion. <laughs> Comrade text to speech. There are two of you. 
<laughs> There's also like 120 odd elements of the civil service that are going on strike as well. Oh, excellent. So, to be fair, I'm kind of surprised that more of them didn't consider in the way that um, pay has been in the civil service. Like for the majority of it, it was like frozen for 10 years and then they had like mm. a couple of one or two percents and then fuck you again. Um, you're not getting any more than that. I have a I have a mate who recently joined the civil service and he's been telling me like basically you know first week in the office so to speak at lunchtime one of the guys like pulled him aside and said so would you like to hear a history of how fucked we are and he's like oh yes <laughs> would I ever and that's like his first week on the job so that's pretty good oh yeah and before we uh, before we turn off the uh, the strike bit um, because I because I promised uh, Anna Yanaga we'd talk about it a little bit when it came up. Um, the UCU strike is also ongoing. They are striking uh, as you are listening to this. So Thursday the 24th and tomorrow, Friday 25th of November. Um, so go support them. And their strike fund is now also open. So you can go to ucu.org.uk. And if you have some pennies to spare, please donate to them and any other strike fund. Uh, but yeah, the UCU is also cool and good. And the universities are also on strike. We are getting like pleasantly close to a general strike, I still think. Like, are you, you know, are you sitting <laughs> listening to this right now in work? Because if so, just stop working. Just don't do anymore. Yeah, yeah. nobody else leave. is. Just, yeah, you can't just leave. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> here's a, here's one tip for your posture: close the laptop, stand up, leave the office, and keep going. You know, <laughs> jobs if you're and quick. Let the ocean take you. <laughs> yeah, this podcast does not recommend walking into the ocean. Um, but yeah, no. It does, so it does tell some politicians to get in the sea. To be fair, yes. But no, it's uh, it's it's very cool and good to see lots and lots of sort of sectors on strike and more and more people joining them uh, because such things are important if we are ever to have any fucking dignity um, as I don't know as whoever you are, like whatever. I believe they're wow, called that workers, terrible. Rob. Yes, workers. I don't know. I, I I hesitate to call myself a worker when I do podcasting. Are we on strike? Do you want to be? <laughs> how how will you tell? I think we're more working <laughs> to rule, to be honest. <laughs> Malicious compliance is the fucking watchword of this podcast. <laughs> uh, but yeah, since um, uh, the train drivers, so Aslef, are going on strike, I thought we would spend tonight's uh, main topic talking a bit about why they're going on strike and specifically talking about the West Coast main line and what the fuck's going on with that. So like together with last week's thing about British Vault, this is sort of like a, a, a podcast movement of Northern Bits uh, that I want to talk a bit about because it is interesting and I think also uh, relevant and important. This podcast so, is the closest thing to uh, any kind of extant northern powerhouse because the fucking government sure as shit isn't going to do anything like that. <laughs> Despite us, I think, last time having real trouble locating Manchester on a map when we talked about it. I speak for yourself. So, <laughs> yeah, I know uh, is. I've been to, No, I've been to Manchester Airport. I've talked about it. I hated it, uh, which is why it needs better, better rail connections. Um so last month, the government extended the contract uh, to run the West Coast mainline again to Avanti West Coast uh, for another six months, despite a huge number of like unmitigated fuck ups and bad service and literally everything being shit. Um, and also Avanti, uh, the month before, halving the number of trains being run on the mainline between Manchester and uh, London. Can, can so I just add, like, as a bit of a backdrop to all of this, 
the fucking company running, uh, like the companies that run the railways in this country, all of them have their profits guaranteed. All of them. Mm-hmm. Yes, Irrespective they do. of whether, whether, they, whether they put a single fucking train on the line, they still get their profits guaranteed. Yeah, because we uh, we changed over. You remember when they had like the franchise model and everybody hated that? Well, under Boris, they changed it to like it's no longer uh, a franchise model. Like the 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 companies just get like a f- it's a fixed contract payment plus like an incentive bonus if they do more than like the minimum of minimum required, um, and it just leaves the government and uh, the treasury exposed to like the actual vagaries of ticket prices and stuff. So like. Now the rail companies are no longer even like being carried along by ticket prices. They just get a flat fee and the ticket prices you pay at the end just like seem to go to the government, even though the the operators set the pricing, which is just fucking weird as all hell. Sounds like nationalization's working to me. <laughs> so like I say, the day-to-day experience for passengers, specifically on the West Coast mainline, has been incredibly shit. Uh, there have been delayed trains, no trains, huge overcrowding, real problems um, everywhere all the time. And that's not just on the West Coast mainline, about a, a current this week, um, about 108 sorry, about 860 trains a day are getting cancelled everywhere across the UK, which is about one in 26 journeys. And that's excluding uh, strike action, according to The Guardian. So like one in 26 trains, if you consider how many trains are departing any given minute of the day from any station, that's a huge amount of of rail Mm -hmm. journeys that are not being made. And again, like just to to bring it up again, if you halve the services between London and Manchester, you know, and and also then smaller services because TransPennine Express has also gouged a lot of its services, especially to like smaller places, you know, I hate to bring it up again, but the Northern Powerhouse leveling up or just even visiting the Lake District if you want to, all of that is like been remarkably um, impacted. And I'm not even going to like start talking about um, what train services are like for people who are uh, disabled, who have injuries, who are old or otherwise need assistance, uh, because that's just been an absolute nightmare of system uh, uh, from from what I've been reading. And again, you know, in sort of broader... Sorry, Rob, just wait, remind me, how, how, how far up does this West Coast mean lane go? Uh, it goes all the way up to Scotland, so it connects to uh, Edinburgh and Glasgow. Mm-hmm. Edinburgh? Yes. Yeah. The West so. Coast Main Line. I, it's because the franchise is called the West Coast Main Line, but it connects into Edinburgh for, I don't know, regional map reasons. I think the West, the West Coast Line goes to Glasgow, and if you go into Edinburgh on the West Coast, you have to go through Glasgow. No, there's branches. As, um, uh, I actually mm. just double-checked this, and it goes from London to Glasgow, but there's branches that go out to Birmingham, Liverpool, Manchester, and Edinburgh. You don't have to go through Glasgow. In fact, honestly, I don't. I'm not sure you No, can. I think this is the point. I think you have to go through Edinburgh to get to Glasgow. No, I don't think so, actually. No? All right. Okay. No, I think it's more like, imagine it forks, basically. Um, and I think that kind of describes it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Anyway, we, you know what? You, listen, you listener, right if you are a train spotter, then yeah, write in and explain <coughs> to us how this works. Yeah, do that. You get to write a post about trains which you'll enjoy and i'll get to read a post about trains which i'll enjoy so yeah everyone wins win win yeah uh but first before we keep talking about the west coast mainline a little history because we always love our history uh because once again this one involves privatization uh again in 1994 under the uh tory government then under john major who despite his uh 
that weird thing that people who watched this season of The Crown were like getting horny for the guy who played Joel Major, oh. which is creepy as all hell. Um, I mean, just it's Johnny Lee Miller, so fair Fox. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, do not get horny for John Major is, is I think, a, a reasonable you know way to live. Um, when you but, meet yeah. the actual John Major, you will resent its absence. So do not become <laughs> dependent upon it. It was uh, privatized in 1994 under then Transport Minister John McGregor. And I only mention his name because apparently he was an amateur magician in his spare time, which is just fucking oh, yeah. incredible. <laughs> Um, and, you know, much like the buses, the energy services, the everything else, um, privatization would harness the management skills, financial disciplines and entrepreneurial spirit. Um, and also we would have no more state run cheese sandwiches, which were which were bad. Uh, and that's why we had to privatize everything so you could get a better quality of, of sandwich. Even though you also didn't get that. We will ret- be returning back to that a bit later on. Um, apart from... Privatizing everything, we did it in a weird, specific way. We broke up. Um, the way the privatization was done is that we hacked everything up into smaller pieces, specifically into three main components, the track, so the track, uh, the rolling stock, so the trains, and the train operators, i.e. people who do passengers and ticketing and all that stuff, into three separate main components. And then we further hacked those three main components apart into 100 separate pieces uh, and sold those off over a series of two years uh, also with big golden handshakes to the private sector and once again I think the British uh, state once again like guaranteed the pensions that were then extant so it was once again a giant golden goose uh, exercise and of course instead of getting a better uh, you know more competitive entrepreneurial train uh, train service we've got some of the most complex expensive and stupid rail in the whole of the Europe in the whole of Europe or even the whole of the world at this point I think by now um, British rail in its entirety in terms of like its efficiency is somewhere between India and Pakistan in terms of how good it's it's working. Um, And not only that, we still have uh, to pay quite a large chunk of government subsidies to keep this privatized rail business uh, going. Uh, Before the permanent contracts we were just talking about, about 30% of all rail industry income was uh, subsidies and 55% tickets. So once again, if we get the ticket income anyway, and we do so much of the rest by subsidies, why can't we just nationalize it? Because it's you're just paying through taxation and you're paying uh, with an expensive ticket. It is is fun to think, though, that um, of those three aspects, uh, one of... One of those, that being national, uh, sorry, network rail, not national rail, network rail was privatized. And then yes. they realized that that may have been something of a mistake. Yes, they had to, um, it was, I can't remember the name of it now, but they briefly privatized it and then had to take it back into uh, public hands after a series of, of disasters, uh, essentially. Um, uh, it turns out you can't actually just kill your customers. I mean, they'll, they'll for, for sure, they'll, they'll keep trying. will be the dream. <laughs> <laughs> i mean they did try to i think it was avanti west coast that did try to like imprison its customers for a while where they left like a train in the middle of the night full of passengers at some railway station and they had to scale like a six foot elect uh, a six foot uh wire fence to get out of the train station because because it had been fully locked up so you know imprison your customers seems to be a thing that they do want to be trying I mean, real travel, well, real franchising is nothing but a captive audience, is it? So, yeah. Um, 
The network rail, by the way, has, has like a lot of oversight functionality, but weirdly, it, it also serves as like a kind of um, adjudication officer to uh, for like disputes between network rail, the rolling stock companies, the uh, train operators themselves and everybody else. Um, this is according to the uh, Financial Times. There are, currently are about 400 full-time uh, network rail staff called train delay attributors, uh, whose job it is to assign the actual blame for the late train and therefore which company oh, gets yeah. like a penalty, um, which includes an adjudication process governed by a 199-page rulebook, which just sounds fucking incredible. Oh, it's, it's even better than that. They all, there's like a team of lawyers at the top whose job it is to essentially argue and rules lawyer that rulebook to try and offload as much of a delay onto the competitors as possible. It's like really highly ritualized. And uh, I'll be honest, like... If it was not for all the consequences of it, I'd kind of be in favor just as a kind of, you know, anthropological kind of study into a thing, you know? How do we ritually assign the blame? Um, you know, just fantastic. It's really good. They need a scapegoat, essentially. <laughs> if they do like a ritualized ritualized system, they can do it like it through a Canley system, like a June thing mm. where it's like ritualized vendetta. I would approve of that. Mm. On the other hand, isn't aren't lawyers essentially the ultimate rules lawyer, like the archetypal one, if you will? If you will, it's in the name. <laughs> yeah, but yeah, James, you are a hundred percent right. Uh, this is from the FT. This is uh, just—it's such a great bit. The most bizarre dispute of recent years involved a debate about who was to blame for a train hitting a peacock. If it was defined as a small bird, then the company driving the train was responsible. If it was categorized as a large bird, then the, uh, then the blame went to the operator of the tracks. The, the, the two sides ended up haggling over whether or not peacocks were bigger than geese. A small bird the size of a large bird. Large bird, yeah. Like, it depends. If the, the synthesis of this is that if the tail is down then it's a small bird. Whereas if it's unfurled the tail and is trying to mate with the oncoming train, then it's a large bird. <laughs> I, hope, I hope that there's like some guy whose job it is, like there is with it. To like the blame planes, for medium birds. <laughs> <laughs> whose job it is to like fire various sized birds at trains because that, <laughs> that's just a job that I want. So desperately, it's <laughs> like bugs. loading poultry into the into the big bird gun or something. If only, if only they had a safety system like that for like firing planes into towers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just picturing, you know, Alistair retraining so he can get his dream job of standing at the mouth of a wind tunnel holding a roast chicken. Like that's fantastic. <laughs> I'm all in favour. Are you telling me that you wouldn't take the opportunity to put a frozen bird into a cannon and fire it at a large piece of machinery? What are you, the A-team? <laughs> <laughs> I'm working on the Mohawk. Uh, the answer, by the way, uh, if you're curious, a peacock is a large bird, which meant that the uh, op train track operator was to, was to blame for, for the del delays. Ah, oh, well, get it fucking up then. <laughs> uh, I mean that was the problem so yeah like I said a lot of the old franchise middle model is now being uh, phased out or is in the process of being phased out since a new agreement since 2021 where the train companies get like fixed fees from the government instead of being reliant on ticket revenues as well as incentive bonuses however that does mean as I said the government is on the hook for like the income actually coming from tickets and specifically it means you place uh 
a lot of rail maintenance and a lot of rail care. It eventually, and, and at the end, it did it in the careful hands of the treasury, which is always a good place to for, for things to, to end up in. And essentially what you're doing now is you're giving um, a lot of rail companies like a maximum profit margin of 1.5%. And it's like, that's if you run the service well. But if you run it like, very much below the standards you could still get your money worth and like you just get more money out of it um and this is part of what's been going on with the west coast mainline itself uh west coast mainline uh, like i said that's the main piece of rail between london and manchester and then going up to edinburgh and glasgow um is operated by avanti west coast avanti west coast is in turn operate owned uh 70 by first group and 30 by the italian national train company called Trenitalia. Um, First Group, by the way, also owns TransPennine Express and some other bits. So, like, they have vast chunks of the UK rail transport. They just do it with various different faces on it. Um, they took over maintenance of the West Coast Main Line in 2019 from Virgin uh, Rail, uh, which mainly involved just the exact same trains, but with a rebrand. Uh, the the slogan, new slogan was ready and fit for the future, exclamation mark, I think. Uh, that was in 2019. And according back then, to, according to its own PR, the new Avanti logo, which is basically an orange triangle, was designed by an independent creative team of more than 100 people working in an old pickle factory in London and in a theater in Amsterdam. So <laughs> I'm, I'm glad the money is being well spent. I hope, I hope it came with the same, like, insane design document that like the new pepsi logo came with because that is another document i would like to read (laughs) well i mean if a hundred people ended up working on it and might i remind you the end result was a little triangle uh and if you're curious by the way like it's it's not gonna be so much a document as like a thesis (laughs) uh that's because the triangle uh the triangle is a symbol of how it would bring communities together uh, across england northern wales and scotland so I think I'd have we just stuck a train on it if it were me. Was the uh, was the triangle in question the one the predator uses to target people? <laughs> uh, to be fair, like in recent recent history, uh, uh, Rona did do a number on all the tra- trade companies, including um, the West Coast Mainline and Avanti. Uh, numbers are still down depending on where you are, but uh, like between 10 and 30% uh, versus the pre-pandemic. Uh, and although that's much less of a thing in um, in the North, because in London, more people work from home now. So like in London, it's like 30% lower public transport use, whereas in the North, it's mainly recovered to, to, to where it was. However, to although prevent you the say ho- that, Rob, you say that, Rob, but I did see, I saw the other day that like London is apparently like pretty much at pre-pandemic levels. Um, mm. at least some days of the week. So it's not like these things aren't recovering. No, it, it really depends on like what numbers you use and like whether or not you look specifically at train operations versus like TFL numbers or like the, it's numbers foxing essentially. But like there is a bit more working from home, which has, so far as I understand it, but you know, if you know better, write in. Um, so because 
a lot of the train operators almost went belly up during Corona. Uh, the government had, did put in about nineteen billion pounds to make sure um, that they didn't do that. So essentially, they paid the train companies a hell of a lot of money, and then of course didn't say, "Well, now we demand some say in the operations, or you have to reduce fares, or anything like that." We just chucked nineteen billion quid uh, over over the fence and said, "Please keep existing." Uh, specifically, it didn't. The pandemic didn't stop those same train operators from still paying uh, thirty-eight million in dividends in twenty twenty-one when you know rail traffic wasn't doing so very hot. Uh, as compared, by the way, in normal years, um, they pay out about two hundred fifty million pounds in dividends to shareholders uh, every year. So you know that's just money that's being leached out of the railway system and definitely not paying uh, drivers, which is which is the main cause of the current crisis on the West Coast Main Line, but also in many other places. Um, mm. So that's it. So in August of 2022, um, uh, the sorry Avanti West Coast cut the services on the on the West Coast Main Line from seven services an hour to four services an hour, uh, and the idea was that they were already so shit at delivering the seven services an hour that if they just cut it back to four, they could at least guarantee that those four trains an hour would run, uh, which they, how did they that are work out? Uh, not very well at all. Uh, essentially, the biggest problem in the whole thing has been um, a lack of train drivers and the fact that they were working their train uh, drivers to, you know, down to the bone, uh, essentially. According to Avanti, um, Again, they they say it is staff shortages, and they also said it was because of unofficial strike action, which is a bunch of horseshit. That you know, the Aslef also said unofficial was horseshit. strike action, a fucking canard for workers doing what they're meant to actually do. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because the thing they are calling an uh, unofficial strike action was, um, it turns out that the staff shortages, the, the driver shortages, is that Avanti and a lot of the other train companies, by the way, re- rely really heavily on uh, rail staff agreeing to work on their time off. Um, this is according to the Financial Times in terms of Avanti, at least. As many as 400 ter- trains a week operate by drivers working overtime. So the drivers are working on their days off. Um, and there is an agreement to do that. They're called rest day working agreements, and they're prevalent throughout the rail industry. And they're a large not really reason. A, not why... really a rest day, though, is it? No, no, no. But but you do, as far as I understand, you do get paid on on your rest days. And if you you know give uh, uh, trade drivers very shit salaries that don't increase with inflation, then you are kind of economically forcing them to work the extra yeah. days per uh, an agreement. Um, and the, but these these working agreements were sort of uh, ratified by the government as well, but a lot of them expired and uh, have expired in the last month. So what happened after they expired? A lot of the drain drivers said, "Well, we're not signing up to a new one." Um, so the four hundred trains a week that were running on this overtime system uh, dropped down pretty much immediately to fifty trains a week, which has led to the current breakdown, especially in terms of. The northern rail so it had nothing to do with unofficial strike action it was literally drivers just following the letter of the law and being sick of being made responsible for a fundamentally broken system that's really at the core of the dispute so far as i understand it this is very key to it these these it's, it's, overtime it's shocking agreements. it's shocking to me just how identical that fucking is to what's going on in the states right now like yeah. are you guys aware of the big kind of thing going on with all the, the train strikes in the united states Vaguely. coming down 
yeah, like so the United States has like you can strike, but first you've got to answer my answer my riddles free and go through <laughs> this ten decade long quest, you know, before eventually the government will allow the train drivers to strike. And they're getting close. They might even start now. I've actually up a little bit. Um but it comes down to the same thing, which is the entire system depended on drivers being willing to basically have no free time off at all. Um, except worse and turned up to 11 because it's America, right? But it's, it's scary just how similar it is. It's just, uh, you know, hey, um, you have decided that your, you know, contractual free time, you're actually going to use it. And um, I don't know if you realize, but you actually are a slave and that really inconveniences the system that's built upon your labor. Uh, could you not do that, please? That's it. That, that's that's the entire thing from all of these companies. And, and let's call it what it is. Like this, this agreement that says that uh, workers will are prepared to work on their their days off. That literally just means we do not want to hire more staff. That is mm-hmm. that is all. This is it is all a fig leaf. For I mean, whenever we talk about privatization of anything, it's all about cutting costs and what costs are we going to cut? We're going to try and cut labor because if we have four hundred trains that are however many trains a month it is that are meant to be running. Uh, but we don't want to hire the staff. Uh, you guys are going to have to suck it up. So, yeah. there's um, Strangely, there's a pressure I didn't realize um, for the longest time, which is in roles which aren't like mission critical, where it's like you need like a, an intensely skilled specialist who's like the person who knows how to, I don't know, like actually build the nukes. Like a really, like, you know, a, a, a real nuclear physicist kind of guy. Outside of those kind of roles... There's a pressure to keep the number of employees you've got down, not just for profit, not just to wring the maximum amount of profit within a number of staff, but also because the more staff you add, the greater that labor force potentially has leverage over you, um, which is something I never really had quite considered before. But I think that's part of what's in play here, because the more train drivers and similar they add, um, not just the more they have to kind of pay out, but also the more opportunity there is that essentially disruption can take place among a meaningful critical mass of them um because it's been said before that like the actual the actual number of people required to really throw over a service of some kind is actually not that high um just as like a static value and the more people you add the more chance you have that eventually you're going to get enough like-minded people together who decide fuck this shit so it's really it's fascinating to watch the politics of it play out yeah, I mean, and then uh, especially I know in terms of of the US, but increasingly here in the UK as well with the new anti-strike legislation is that they say, well, rail is critical to the transport of goods and people. So like you have to jump through even more significant hoops in order to be able to strike than even other sectors of the of the workforce because like you you perform, you know, it's that whole thing of like you're not allowed to go on strike because you perform an essential service. Yeah. I mean, well, this is the thing as well with the way that the the franchising kind of stuff works, where it's a guaranteed fucking profit. Like any withholding of labour isn't actually going to affect that. They're still going to get paid, but it's the government that's on the hook for it. So the government's then got an incentive, without actually taking the blame for the strike, to clamp down on striking workers as much as possible. So yeah, it's just I mean, a system and, that feeds yeah. anti-union legislation to itself. And in, and in this specific case as well, like the um, uh, the reason that Aslef says and the RMT says as well that the government is dragging its feet and like that the rail companies probably want to sign agreement but the government isn't letting is it letting them is I think in this specific case in terms of Aslef is like the government needs to sign off on those rest day working agreements 
So if the mm. government doesn't want to sign off on those, there can literally be no deal between ASLAF Union and the, the rail companies. So if the government just does, refuses to sign, then they can hold up a strike while everybody else but them takes the break, takes the, the you know, takes the shit, essentially, takes the blame for, mm. for what's going on. I ended up um, hearing about a fucking PM tonight. Um, and fucking, they had a guy on, I can't, he was either someone for the rail industry or from government but not the transport minister I'm not sure which it was um, but fully said the quiet part out loud about how they need to be able to break this strike because if they don't other sectors are going to see it like, being successful and will therefore do their own strikes and that would be bad for the economy or whatever pish and it's like they're at the point now where they're desperate enough to start saying that just openly I think it's the nurses Honestly, mm. I think like the train drivers and the rest of them inspired the nurses and the nurses went, fuck this shit. And that really, I think, has them quite terrified, honestly. So, um, you know, all power to the workers. Good. Mm-hmm. I mean, to be fair, like, you know, the, there's also real like economics incentives for everybody to go on strike. Because if you get a 5% pay rise against, mm. you know, a 12% inflation rate, we've said it many times on this podcast, but you are taking a de facto pay cut and quite a big one yep. at that. So, you know, like mm-hmm. you just, they, we... We need to pay people. I don't know. Like it seems to be like a core issue in in the UK in particular. I mean, it's everywhere in the world. I know, but like in the UK, there just seems to be such a desire to never pay anybody like what they're worth, or like at least the means to sort of reproduce and you know a- a- enjoy their own existence. I mean, I'm sure somebody wrote a book about this at some point about what happens <laughs> when capitalism starts doing that. It's up striking blank. It really comes down to like capitalists are. collectively they've got some solidarity but individually they're very very stupid and in their hearts they lust for essentially slavery even though slavery as an institution is incredibly damaging to economic production and the accumulation of wealth so you know go figure um i mean in in the other sense like you have these so you have these 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 working time rest agreements the other thing that um uh avanti was saying then that they are correcting is that because of corona they haven't been able to uh, do new driver training because people weren't allowed to be in the in the same rooms as each other. Um, Transpennine oh, Northern. Just get them on the train simulator twenty twenty one. It's fine. It's all it's all the same shit. All the buttons are there. It's fine. I mean, this is that, that was the lorry solution. It was floated a few months back, was it not? Yeah, it was. <laughs> it's good was. enough for the lorries. It's good enough for the trains. <laughs> well, yeah, trains I mean, are even easier. Yeah, you can't go left or right. You just have to go forward or backward. Yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> give us a train, coward. Um, yeah, so, however, that's not quite true because uh, other operators, uh, specifically LNER, I, can't, I, I forgot to look up what the, what the acronym is of where they were. Um, London Northeast Rail, I think. Okay. Yeah. Um, is that they did manage to keep driver training going. So, like... Um, um, Avanti in, in particular has only managed to train like a hundred new drivers, where Aslef says, "Well, you need like six hundred new ones if you want to have everybody like run the schedule as it's supposed to, and nobody and not be reliant on like massive overwork from from existing staff." So, like, there's just a, a massive gap of, of like five hundred train drivers that simply cannot be resolved and will not be resolved in any of the near future. And then at the same time, they're not willing to pay their current drivers. So I'm like, I don't really know you know, 
what uh, Avanti thinks the the way out of this is. Well, I mean, they've shown what their way out of it is. It's just to say, well, why don't we just cut the services and like fuck everybody who's dependent on on train transport? Well, I mean, we know what's going to happen if uh, the situation gets like even slightly too much heat for them. Is that they're just going to fuck it off and be like, all right, you deal with it, and then just hand it over to the government, then run back to the bank with their hundreds of millions in dividends. Like, because this is this is what's happened with other railway uh, rail line franchises or whatever the yeah. fuck they're called um, elsewhere in the country. So, like, you know, like that they are not. They, it is it is fucking so funny how off the hook they are for all of this shit, except for like the bad PR for their company. Essentially, just yeah. no stakes in it for them whatsoever. Mm-hmm. No, I mean it's this thing we were talking about briefly during the last week's episode as well. It's like it. it, it, it the model since Thatcher and certainly since Blair has, seems to have been in the British economy is like the British state doesn't want to do anything. So the, all they want to do is pay middlemen who then cream a bunch of profit off the top and then run a shitty service. But I think like more and more, the middlemen have just like decided, well, what if we just don't do any service whatsoever and we just run off with the money? <laughs> the middlemen have said doing nothing is too much work. Essentially, yeah. Like you know, we just seem to—they just seem to be like, well, if we just keep the money and then don't do anything, what are you gonna do about it? And the British state is like, well, you know, I'm a small bean state. Ooh, ooh, I can't do anything because I'm ideologically opposed to nationalization of any type. So you know, it's it's unless the British state decides to act, this is the model you're gonna end up with. Because what's the incentive for capital to get off its ass and do anything? I don't think there is one. Doing nothing is too much work is the first relatable thing I've ever heard about a company. Well, <laughs> like, to, to kind of run it through, it's the natural endpoint of landlordism and, rent, and you know, rentiership, essentially. Like, you give people the ability to extract rents, and the first generation, so to speak, are like, this is great. I used to have to work incredibly hard. Now I need to put in, like, minimal effort, and I just get to cream money off the top. Fantastic. But then subsequent generations follow up, and they're kind of, you know they come in adjusted to that as the baseline normal, and so they just try and push it further. And it's just how it always goes. Like, rents kill societies. That's just how it is. Like, when you create a class of people who's not not so much that they, like, sit at the top and are the ultimate beneficiaries, but rather that they sit as intermediaries and just get to leech off the economy. When you do that and don't have them actually providing something meaningful with the money they're taking... Um, they just grow fat and they grow lazy. It really is the case of it. And then, of course, they project it onto the people who receive any kind of support from the state, you know, because they themselves are fat and lazy. Therefore, in order to kind of square the circle and you know, like, you know, deal with the, the kind of weight of a non-production society, they put it on the people who are poor. And that's that really is where all these benefit scroungers kind of narratives have their origin. It's in the guilt of people who don't actually do the fucking work and who really do just like you know suckle off the teeth of the state like the people running our fucking train lines yeah and it's you know like uh, but at some point and i think it's it's also in relation to to the strikes like that what we were talking about earlier is like at some point you do meet whatever's left of the real economy and like real people's jobs and income and you you end up in 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 real problems because like you know much like the the story about british fault it's like we also need trains to run and public service to 
uh, public transport to be good, you know, because people need to be on the train and out of their cars because what people are doing now, which, you know, makes sense if you must get to your job or you have important things that you need to do, you know, if you need to get from Manchester to London or to Scotland or wherever, like, well, you'll end up taking a car or you'll end up buying a car and just burning more fossil fuels. So like, you know, the, the, this, this scam does work, but in the end, like everybody gets fucked. Like I, I don't even know how to, and, and some of the people who are getting like, bonus screwed with this which i think is also like something i haven't really thought about enough but like once you talk about it it's like it makes a lot of sense it's like um it's not just the drivers that uh avanti's been screwing over according to the rmt avanti also cut like 175 catering on train catering jobs so like you can't even get the cheese sandwich anymore disgusting on a and uh, what i think is even even more important is like it leaves the remaining stuff that's left of like caterers and, and train attendants and, and platform staff and everything. If you cut those people down and you cut the services down, like the few people that are left on the platform with like high-vis jackets on, they face like more aggression from normal people and more frustration from travelers who aren't getting the services, the incredibly expensive services uh, that, that they were promised or that they need to get to the thing they were, they were going to. So like you're essentially... Um, catering staff and and platform staff and train conductors and all them you know you just create them it's as like sort of a a a customer service layer right they become the people you scream at because avanti's you know not hired enough train drivers since essentially 2019 I, i can't work out if they've actually hired any so you know it's it's if they want to, if they want to raise morale, I reckon they should basically just let the train drivers like take the trains out sometimes, just for a laugh. Like you know, could, uh, fuck it, go to the dogging spot of a train. What's the worst could happen? <laughs> oh my god! Uh, so like currently, uh, Avanti is planning on cancelling um, even more services from December. Uh, one in thirteen of his existing services, even now after they've cut a whole bunch, uh, are going to be. Uh, uh, knocked off even further um and this of course creates like massive knock-on effects as well because if you cut more services like there's still the demand for for train journeys the demand for people going from place a to b doesn't necessarily change like yeah some people take the bus etc etc um or, or like take a car or whatever but like it all you're doing is creating more chaos because more people will cram themselves on like the remaining trains, which is part of the reason why, like now, if you sometimes see those photos online or in the news of like people like stacked up like cordwood in a in a train no, in, no, in, no, in Rob, a train carriage. Rob, those those photos are all a false flag. James Ball has definitively proven this. <laughs> oh fucking god! Um, <laughs> the the other the other thing I wanted to say though is like in the context of climate collapse, like we are, you know meant to be doing something about that presumably and uh, as we know the state hates doing things about anything like people more people need to be going on trains more people need to be taking the bus and like when yes. as we covered when we covered the privatization of um buses of in the this bus country services. the services yeah. are, the services are terrible they are very very expensive like it like cheap almost cheaper to get a taxi from like one end of the country to the other i think uh, than get a train, and it's certainly cheaper to fly. It's definitely cheaper uh, it's to absolute, fly. Absolutely which is cheaper fucking to fly, shocking. which is hala- yeah, hilarious uh, in a, in a very dark way. And we are not going to do any of that because, well, schniff ideology, right? That's that's the sole reason. Well, I mean, like I also live, a, you know, I live in an, in a schniff ideology ass country as well. But like Swiss Rail is is 
not cheap. I'm not going to say it's cheap, but like it's it's cheaper than uh, UK rail, and the service is like a zillion times better. Like the trains come when they're supposed to, and they're clean, and they're like there's there's staff and there's people on the platforms. Like you know, it's it's you can actually run. Like I think Swiss Rail is even like semi-private as well. Like you can even under a, set, a capitalist system, you can run a rail service that does actually work. Like it's not, yeah. you know. It's, I mean, ultimately there is a strong difference between Britain and, you know, other capitalist nations which are functional. And I guess it's that, like you said, it's Schniff ideology, but I'm increasingly becoming convinced that the problem with Britain is it doesn't have an ideology, actually. Like at, at its base level, it's just got tradition. And that itself, like you might think, you know, that is an ideology, but I'm not convinced it is. I think they just got the inertia of things as they were now. And like, you know, when Thatcher came along, Thatcher had an actual ideology, right? And we say, oh, everything since then has been neoliberalism and Thatcherism in the UK, but I'm not so sure. I think it's just been momentum and it's just it been them coasting. Yeah, I see what you mean. But maybe like the, it's just like petering out now in terms of I mean, yeah, momentum. This is, uh, this is, this is, um, oh, fuck it. Um, I think this is uh, Milo Edwards' <laughs> take on it. Is it's it's shit. It's supposed to be shit, and if you don't like it, etc. And that is that is like the British mantra, which um, I oh, think yeah. neatly slots into what you were just saying there, James. Yeah, they just they don't have ideas. They they don't have an ideological idea of what they should be doing and how it should be functioning. They just have things that our ancestors did, and the ancestor in question is Thatcher and Blair. So we'll just do what they did, you know. And no ability to reassess and reconsider. It's the, it's the floor of conservatism, basically. It's so the, it's, well, this it, it, it's, is it kind of, are you talking about like sort of a mutated version of like cargo cultism? Well, we did actually yeah. build an airport where planes did actually used to come in, but now the planes, like the wings are falling off, but we're still like maintaining half a broken warning light on the runways. Is that sort yeah. of where you're going? Basically, yeah. Like once upon a time, like they had an idea to do something. And it sort of worked for a bit and they all went off ah, and congratulations, like problems solved forever and ever. Um, the hi- history has ended. Now let's just keep going with what we've done. And none of the people who might have ideas about, you know, adjusting things to the times are allowed anywhere close. Because it's like, you know, the real tragedy of this whole thing is like you take Jeremy Corbyn, right? And Jeremy Corbyn's policy platform is increasingly being shown as Contrary to popular belief, it's not communism, it's not really socialism, it was a reasonable and pragmatic compromise to the changing world we live in, and that was way too far. Just not even, you know, remotely allowable or permissible. I mean, in, in, in terms of its actual radicalism, it was like a, you know, social democratic platform from the 1980s somewhere. Like, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't, it like, yeah, it was ne- nowhere near full communism, uh, you know, luxury or otherwise. But yeah, like, I think but now we're just, as you say, we're sort of just like s- sitting in, in, in the ashes and sort of whilst whilst the upper classes are still insulated from this and the media class definitely is like, they just sort of, you know, it's, it's we, when, we, when we started talking, when we started this episode, uh, you know, we, we talked about that Starmer profile and it's like the thing that was supposed to be okay now is like, um, there's going to be like a, a a slightly sad face that will do the same like hacking and taking mm. apart and sitting in the ashes than the Tories which are doing it in glee and that's like supposed to make us feel better or something because I know that like um in I remember from the latest party conference that like the shadow transport secretary Louise Haig who from what I've read seems fairly serious and you know I, I 
I have no reason to distrust her, uh, is she still wants to renationalize um, the rail system by essentially taking them into public ownership as and when the current set of franchise and contracts expire. But on the other hand, like we saw this week and last week, you know, Labour saying, oh, yes, there is a big hole and the budget does need careful watching and, you know, like the 54 billion in cuts, we need to do the same. So, like, I already know who's going to win that contest and it's going to be like Rachel mm. Reeves and the freaks in the Treasury who are going to say, oh, yeah, we promised we were going to nationalize something. But, you know, sadly, the, the you know, the gods in the market don't allow us, you know, like it'll be like that because it, it it's baked in that it will be like that. Like this whole this whole talk about you know Britain coming t- back to Europe as like a kind of Switzerland like arrangement, I think it's doomed to failure from the start because they just don't have the ability to do the political and economic like pragmatism bluntly um, that's necessary to sustain that kind of relationship. So yeah. Also, I, to be fair, we don't have the type of gold that makes trains run on time. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're much more we're much more about the sclerosis than anything else. Like it's it's fun to joke about the trains running on time in Switzerland is because of you know um, the the Nazi gold that was taken. Um, but in all seriousness, um, like even aside from the massive economic hub that Switzerland kind of has made itself historically and contemporarily, I don't think that is necessarily connected no. to the management of their public services. Um, and Britain, I just don't think Britain's got the chops for it, bluntly. I don't think there's anyone in any position of authority or like with ability to actually direct the state in Britain who has what it takes to essentially make Britain work in that context. Well, it's, it's, I think in this context, James, I, I, I don't know if you're right about whether or not there's nobody that exists because like, you know, it's, there's always the stuff you don't know and, you know, there's always something around the corner that you, you, you didn't see coming. But like... I think the biggest problem is, um, and and certainly if you're also looking at like Starmer's Labour or the Conservative Party, certainly, or, you know, God forbid, the fucking Liberal Democrats. And I don't really know enough about the SNP, but I'm willing to include them in this, is like none of the four major parties have any incentive or desire to take on the middlemen in the economy. Because essentially, (laughs) I think in order to fix Britain or fix like the, the, the West Coast mainline, you have to go to war with the middlemen. Like yeah. you have to be willing to take on First Group or or KPMG or Circo or whoever the fuck is running Yars Wood now or G4S, you know, like I, those are, I, if you're talking about like the real structural problems is, is, is I think those group of people are much more like d- dangerous and built into the system than like the Conservative Party. I mean, there's, yeah. they're linked with each other, but, you know, like Avanti, um, or first group, or, or circa, will easily survive a changing government. You know. Yeah, I also think the rot's deeper than that. Though I honestly think like Britain kind of needed the EU to sit on top and come to d- pragmatic decisions about regulation and things like that. Yes. To an extent, I don't think Britain has the institutional capacity to do that for itself. It doesn't have the ability to like legislate and restrain these companies, let alone fight them. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it does, but it just it doesn't have the will. Like, I mean, that that power does exist. It's just none of them want to use it in any way, shape, or form. The system, the system breeds against anyone who wishes to do anything that might impact the the current arrangement. That's the whole point of it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, I think it's the difference between like theoretically possible and pragmatically, systematically, you know, able yeah, to yeah, do yeah, the okay, thing. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and if you want to hear like a nice kicker to this whole story, which is the thing I didn't know, um, but guess who's been granted the the rights to run uh, HS2 Phase 1 to Birmingham, back to London, Jamie, when it's ever Jamie, finished? Jamie's, Jamie's, Jamie's <laughs> going to be laying the track himself. <laughs> That's what all uh, that heavy equipment turning up at your house is for, Jamie, by the way. Yeah, uh, yeah it is It is Jamie, but in the guise of uh, Avanti, uh, they will, once that thing is ever done, they have the license to run it for the first, I think, decade or something. <laughs> which is just fucking incredible like we're going to kick these people off I think, there's a a, I think there's a chance they may actually get kicked out of their contract because like <laughs> you know I think even they are taking the piss to this point now that like I don't know if it's maintainable but they I think they the government is just like they need to find a different company they need to find like Virgin or whoever else is out there to like take this contract and once they found somebody they'll like dump off a vanty and say look we fix the problem because there's another faceless train operator in in charge of the whole thing. There was a there was a while doing the research for this. There was a great interview that I read, and I can't reproduce it fully, but it was something like they talked to um, like a, a, a I think it was a um, a ticket inspector who'd been working for Avanti or and its predecessors for like twenty or thirty years, and like the basic thing that had changed in his job was that he had been given five new uniforms and the train had been given five new coats. The same train had been given five new coats of paint uh, as like the operators change and the contracts change. But the surf, the guy was still the same. The contract was still the same, except that he was being paid worse than ever. And the train was still the same. So it was 20 years old and everything was falling apart. I'm literally like, this is real feudalism. Because I've been doing research recently about what happened when lords went to war, essentially, to the average person on the ground, right, in feudal times. And it's it's literally that. It's like, you know, new guy rolls in, and like all the, you know, the, the guys beneath him, um, beneath his predecessor, would all be like, I will pledge my loyalty to you. And either he like killed them, or he went, yeah, all right, fine, carry on, but uh, I'm increasing taxes for a bit to pay for the war effort that's allowed me to acquire you. And they go, yeah, okay. And then for the average person on the ground who's managed to survive the conflicts, like not much changes as a consequence. It's just they get like a fucking um, new set of religious icons in the local church and uh, yeah, you know, or, or suddenly like a new- that a new flag in the village square with a different design on it. Yeah, a new coat of paint. Yeah, yeah it's exactly, the new coat of paint. Yeah. So, you know, I think in terms of like, if you look at the system, right, like this, this the West Coast mainline in, in, in particular, like Avanti, so far as I, I've read and, you know, literally just, they, they got the, the contract in 2019 and then they had just put no effort in they didn't train new people they didn't pay for new stock the rolling stock they didn't do anything serious they just sat on it vampire like and said well now we can just increase even more rents and then corona came along and you know much like i think a lot of other sectors because you know what we were talking about the the nursing shortages and all that earlier as well like i think a lot of what's going on the nhs now like corona really exposed like the deep structural cracks in the nhs and like the stuff that's been building up over the years that meant the nhs was no longer resilient to a crisis i think the same thing has happened as well like corona has like shown up the cracks in the transport system and certainly in in the rail system because it was shut down for so long so like you 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 look at these broad systems and like the the thing that needs doing is just like deep structural repairs but then you know i i don't want to circle back to where we just were but like you know Maybe, uh, uh, David, if I can borrow a line of yours, it's like, what is to be done? You know, like you, you get to these points where like the, 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 
the coppering is out of the walls and then the cracks are in the foundation. It's like something's going to have to give because like once once this shit, once the hospital start falling apart and like the rail services start falling apart, I don't know what the fuck's going to happen to this country, but like it's going to be interesting times for sure. I'd just like to thank you for the correct attribution of the quote, what is to be done to me. <laughs> yes, of course. Thank you yes. <laughs> I famously I think- loved your manifesto, David. <laughs> well, uh, and in terms of, I think unless there's anything else, I think we can uh, turn off talking about um, the West Coast mainline. And then uh, how about we do, to cheer us all up, we do a spot of uh, Comador Comateria instead. If we must. We must. Okay. Um, right. Wh- oh, which one to start on, actually? Um, okay. Maybe the comment, perhaps the commentariat. One of them. Uh, of course, anyone who is familiar with Twitter and is sensibly free of political bias knows full, well, <laughs> knows full well the platform was shamefully censorious of right-wing or contrarian views. One of the many things that if it truly values democracy, freedom and individual rights, is setting the West on a dangerous course to an authoritarian future. Uh, I support uh, uh. Musk in rebalancing the Twitter sphere and making it fairer. It should not become an echo chamber for any political view. Comment or commentary. Brendan. I can hear the forehead from here. Yeah, Brendan. That's Brendan. That's my boy. The silhouette of a hat is being cast over the podcast. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's go. It's 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 commentary. Probably Brendan, maybe spiked. Let's see. That was a comment in the Guardian. <laughs> Jesus is, is it, fucking it, Christ! Is it again by Hatwearer four twenty or whatever? It is not. I do not take the usernames, but I doubt it. I don't think Brendan wastes his time posting in the Guardian comment section. He wastes his time writing articles for Spiked instead. Um, I mean, if he if he was going into the Guardian comment section, I imagine he'd just be bombarded with like imager links to uh, pictures of his head. So. <laughs> Trump is still the candidate the U.S. deep state does not want to face. For this reason alone, he represents uh. the best nominee. Trump should be president now, no matter how many times the global mafia state and their media repeats the big lie that the 2020 elections were fair, every honest man knows they were stolen. Here again, the continuing efforts to suppress the truth only make it more obvious. Comment or commentary? Please tell me it's comment. I want to say comment. I'm going to say commentary. More out of consternation than anything else. (laughs) Piers Morgan? That was Daniel Miller in Conservative Women. (laughs) <laughs> you did it you maniac you did it <laughs> I'm so proud of you <laughs> I, I don't know who this guy is I, I assume he's American because he mostly well, writes about obviously American, some kind of cunt <laughs> well he only writes about American politics and Covid shit but he also only appeared on the website like late 2020 so he was quite clearly driven mad by lockdown in some way well, um, hopefully someone <laughs> Late in the day to hear you, comrade, text a speech. I thought you had gone to bed. Uh, um, okay, here, this is a long one. Nevertheless, that left on economics, right on culture, sweet spot of modern politics, uh, uh, what one might call the missing majority 
is popular oh. among voters, oh. but has surprisingly few friends among MPs and party oh. activists on both oh. sides. Tories don't like the left on economics, and many are ambivalent about the right on culture too, and Labour people mainly hate the latter. Does Starmer have the strength to really test the discipline of his party and start to push back on so-called woke issues? And what about those channel boats? Of course, everyone would like a returns deal with France, but Uh-oh. as that seems unlikely to happen, some kind of offshoring system which stops people getting to this country Uh-oh. but leaves them safe and comfortable in Rwanda or somewhere else Uh-oh. is the only answer. If, as seems probable, the European Court of Human Rights rules against the government on offshoring, Uh-oh. whose side will Starmer be on? If he backs the current government, then he can almost be guaranteed to form the next one. Comment or commentary? Yeah. That's really hard, actually. Mm. Um, I'm going to say commentary. That's kind of what I think. Yeah, all right. I'll go with Jamie. Commentary. I'm going to say comment. I'm going to s- fear. Yeah, this spells like commentary. It this feels like the new statesman for some reason. Okay. It is commentary. That was David Goodhart in The Spectator. David in a, in a, Goodhart. Uh, there we go. In an article titled. Has Keir Starmer found the sweet spot in British politics? Oh, comment. Christ. David Goodhart was one of the, like, the original, like, that's OG New Labour. He's he's gone all, like, nationalist. Like, he's gone, like, very red-brown. Like, he's gone, or red-brown shirt, I should say, <laughs> um, in the last couple of, shit, a couple of years. <laughs> Jesus okay, last fucking one. Christ. The largest proportion of council tax goes to provide social services, air quotes. Many of those functions could be put back to the family. After all, it is surely the duty of the family unit to look after itself and shoulder the responsibilities of looking after itself. Comment or commentary. (sighs) Whether it's comment again, whether it's sheer bloody mindedness. I'm going to say child molester. So commentariat then. Could be either, really, couldn't it? <laughs> oh, for oh, Jesus Christ. Oh, um, I'm going to hope this is a comment in The Guardian. It's obviously some fucking libertarian dipshit, isn't it? Oh, we, should definitely, we should definitely strive for personal responsibility in the arena of like dealing with people who are fucking like diddling their kids. That should definitely be an issue that we leave to the parents to sort out. <laughs> that was a comment in the BBC News website. Um, By a child uh, molester. <laughs> Possibly. We, we just don't know. There was another um, comment further down the line. Here that I, I, it was fucking incredible. It's about time households with three or more adults were charged an additional 25% given the extra services they use. It's wrong single people only get a 25% discount on the couples and more rate. Whoa. In which a BBC comment guy reinvented the poll tax. (laughs) (laughs) That's a general Uh, thing, by the way. I always love this this, this type of horseshit reasoning because it's like they do both at the same time all the time. It's like... What they mean is is um, white families 
the mother mm. needs to stay at home and look after the children and, you know, the father needs to come home and, and hit the children or something. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, at the same time, when they talk about people with like a greater percentage of, of you know, multi-generational households, uh, uh, mm-hmm. immigrant families, Muslim families, it's like, oh no, then they're bad, then they're not good, you know, like it's the same thing at the same time, all the time. It's so fucking disgusting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, totally else, you're right. So that was comment or commentary, and that was the episode. Uh, apologies for this one probably coming out late. If it doesn't, then ignore that. Um, but yeah, it probably will come out slightly late again. We will be back on schedule soon, I promise. Um, if you would like more episodes, then we have a couple of bonus episodes that will be dropping just soon, um, within the next week or so, on the Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash praxiscast. You should also check out the streams, which are on twitch.tv forward slash praxiscast. Uh, that's usually Thursdays, sometimes Wednesdays, and also you should um, buy and merch. also you should go to the merch store and buy merch. We have hoodies, we have t-shirts. It is praxiscast.tmill.com, and I believe that is all we need to plug. So we yep, will leave you to go about your day. Have fun. Bye now. See ya. Bye. Ta ta. Enjoy.